0: Hey YA is a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by YA experts, enthusiasts, and authors, Kelly Jensen and Eric Smith. The show delves into YA trends, adaptations, news, and boatloads of young adult book recommendations of all kinds. Each episode is guaranteed to amp up your TBR and leave you feeling excited about the wild and wonderful world of young adult books. Listen to Hey YA on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice.
1: Hello and welcome back to When in Romance, where we love to talk about romance novels, romance novel writers, romance things and all things romance landia. We are recording episode 62 on Thursday, June 25th. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And happy birthday
0: to my two twin nieces. They probably don't listen to this show because they're turning seven today, but...
1: (laughs) Well, happy birthday to them anyway. Yeah,
0: Lizzie and Bridget turning seven today while we're recording. It's a happy day. (laughs) How are you doing, Jess? I'm doing all right.
1: How's it going over there?
0: I mean, you know, it's that weird state of the world where everything just seems
1: weird all the time, Mm
0: -hmm. but you almost kind of start to get used to it.
1: Yeah which is almost weirder. It is. I sort of forgot that our mountains were on fire for like 2 days and then it's like, oh wait, no. Fire. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: it is terrible that your mountains are on fire. Would that that was the only thing that was metaphorically on fire, right? Like Right. There's yes. Yeah. But, you know what? We continue on. And one of the ways mm-hmm. that a book riot we are continuing on. Oof this might go down as my worst transition ever. But it's you know what, I'm st- <laughs> I'm sticking with it. I'm going to lean hard into it. We are doing a reader survey, it will only take you a few minutes. And if you tell us about yourself and what you're listening to, you could potentially win an e reader, which is, I don't know, that's a cool thing. I meant to like, go on Mm -hmm. and do it so that I could tell you guys how long it takes. But when they tell us it only takes a few minutes, I actually kind of believe them. I think that's probably true. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, So I mean, gosh, I wish I could tell you to do it right now. But we're just so interesting that I think you would get distracted. (laughs) So maybe like pause the podcast, do it and come back
1: whichever way you'd like do it when it's done. The link is in the show notes.
0: The link will be in the show notes whenever you are ready to win an e-reader. But yeah, we do actually really do appreciate it. It helps us figure out how to make all of our Book Riot shows better. I mean, I know what you're thinking. How could this show be any better? Well, (laughs) Trisha could work on her transitions. But other than that, (laughs) nothing. Nothing could do it. So yeah, please do do it. Um, It's bookriot.com slash 2020 survey. Or as just mentioned, the link will be in the show notes.
1: Hooray. And uh, Trisha's transitions are better than my transitions because – That sounds like a really great time to transition to an ad spot so that we can just talk about all the other stuff for a while. Honestly, Jess, I think you nailed it. All
0: right. I think you just like, it was super smooth, right on in there.
1: (laughs) Right on in there. So let's thank Book Riot again and TBR, Tailored Book Recommendations, for sponsoring this week's podcast. You can now give TBR to someone you love. Is your favorite book lover hard to shop for? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot subscription service, offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Choose from plans that allow your loved one to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or a year-long subscription. And then you can sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. So we'll match them with a bibliologist who can handpick recommendations just for them. And gifts start at $15, so there is an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore, in Portland, Maine. So when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today. mytbr.co slash gift. Excellent.
0: Uh, Boy, no, I'm not even going to do it. I was going to do like another terrible transition, and then I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Just give the people what they need, which is a little bit of news and a little bit of discussion. So one of the news pieces that we were going to talk about is something that I think you and I will confess we both missed earlier this month when we were talking about RWA. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the award change overshadowed a little bit of the fact that uh, the RWA 2.0, which if you listen to the show, you know, um, there's a new board of directors who uh, has made it very clear that one of their priorities is to ensure that a lot of the romance writers who have been underrepresented and frankly mistreated by the romance writers of America in the past are being seen and being represented. In many ways, that population is writers of color, but in another way, it's another one of the ways, um, which is certainly not mutually exclusive, are queer writers. And in many cases, I think a lot of those are the ones, you know, again, not exclusively, but writing for Dream Spinner Press. And we've talked a little Mm -hmm. bit about dream spinner gosh it's got to be at least close to a year now jess right it's been a while dream spinner has not been paying their authors it's been a really big deal and it's been really problematic for a lot of people who are dependent on that income
1: yeah and you know they they have a range of published authors just like anybody else um and the it's the royalties that haven't been dished out quarterly or in whatever time period that they had been previously. And you've got people who are not getting like tens of thousands of dollars and people who are not getting, you know, a couple hundred. But either way, that's money that was going into Dream Spinner's pocket that was not coming back out to where it was supposed to go. And, uh, you know, there have been a couple authors who were able to take legal action. But even then, they were hardly in a position monetarily to be able to take legal action because their main source of income wasn't coming in, even though the company selling their books was selling their books. So there was a call previously at some point last year for RWA to help with this because that is one of rwa's mission as an organization is to help authors when there are issues with publishers there have been times in the past where they've helped authors advocate with the publishers for unpaid royalties or misrepresentation or any of that kind of thing and it kind of didn't happen like i i don't know what got caught in that communication but I think they just decided that they weren't gonna do it. But now that we've got RWA two point who are basically pulling everything down and throwing up their own buildings, which is great. Yeah, uh, they they decided that after their first few steps, the next one was going to be to restart that advocacy bit, specifically with Dream Spinner, because so many of their members have had trouble with this and they set out a reminder earlier this week that if you were an author who was having trouble getting your royalties paid to communicate with them and they had they had already done this a couple of weeks ago and like trisha said we missed it because uh probably because of we all we were talking about was the vivian yeah Uh, But I look forward to seeing what happens with this, because I personally, new readers might have noticed, have not been recommending Dream Spinner books, not because I want to punish the authors, but because I don't want money that isn't making it to the authors going to a company that's behaving badly. So I would love for this to be resolved as quickly as possible, because some great books are coming through that I just want the authors to be paid properly. So once that happens, you will hear a lot more from me about Dream Spinner books. I promise.
0: Yeah. Well, and I do, I mean, you know, you mentioned just that it was a little unclear why RWA had not backed this effort in the way that they backed some others. I know that there was certainly some conversation at the time. Dream Spinner is an LGBTQ primarily, perhaps exclusively, I think I've only seen male-male titles from them. But I I certainly don't have a full understanding of exactly what they do. But it does seem like it is primarily queer romance uh,
1: mm-hmm. that's being
0: published. And there was certainly some concern that that had something to do with the fact that RWA, you know, the first, the last version, the version from bef- before 2.0, uh, <laughs> that, that might be part of the reason that they were not as invested. Mm-hmm. It certainly, there are systemic issues involved in that kind of bias- We'll actually get into some systemic bias in a little bit, but, you know, it may not have been a direct result of any kind of bias, but it certainly could have been related. So at any rate, now that there is a board of directors that is much more focused on inclusivity and uh, AGA is for everybody, hopefully things will turn around. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Indeed. May your efforts succeed, RWA. Hopefully you can get those author payments. And if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, they're collecting statements about folks' experience until June 30th. So this episode should come out on June 29th. So, yeah. So you got a little time, a very little time. If, as we always assume you do, you are listening to this on the day it comes out. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to how to reach out to RWA if you are a person who wants to speak to staff about your advocacy needs. So there it is. Boom. Yeah. Boom. So, one of my favorite things that I did this week, Jess, was uh, <laughs> listening to the Black Love Writing Black Romance panel from the Juneteenth Book Fest, which is a thing that I know that
1: you did also. I did also. It was a great thing to do to make me feel better on a day when I was homesick. Mm-hmm. And I could have watched it the day it came out because I was also off work because I took off for my birthday. I mean, fair. I will be honest, until I was like 12, whenever my mother talked to about my birthday being on Juneteenth, I thought it was just a holiday for me. But I have to share with the rest of my people, which is fine. I'm good with
0: that. Also good. <laughs> but it is kind of charming
1: that you thought that like that day was just for you. <laughs> Um, but yes, so if you are unfamiliar with the Juneteenth Book Festival, which you might be because it sort of showed up out of nowhere a few sure. days before. Um Happiest kind of surprises. It was really great. L. l McKinley was kind of the the spearhead behind this and she got some sponsorship and authors collected very quickly, um, in order to record, I think, seven or eight panels and post them on YouTube on June 19th, talking about all kinds of things related to publishing when you were black. And if you don't remember what Juneteenth is, Juneteenth is the day that recognizes the day the last enslaved people found out about the Emancipation Proclamation two and a half years later. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a catch-all <laughs> uh, holiday for the celebration of black freedom and blackness and all of that so it was a good day to talk about this kind of stuff and one of them as trisha mentioned was black love writing black romance and it was a heck of a panel just like the names themselves was i was almost intimidated to watch it because it was like there will be so <laughs> much coming off of my computer screen yeah it's, it was, you know, four authors who we
0: talk about regularly on this mm-hmm. show. And probably, I would guess that in the last two months, we've talked about all four of them. So Alyssa Cole was the moderator of the panel and certainly was involved as a participant as well. And her panelists were Farrah Roshan, who we uh, mentioned. Uh, who, her book, The Boyfriend Project, just came out recently. Rebecca mm-hmm. Weatherspoon, who we've talked about many, many, many times. And actually, who has been on the show. And, of mm. course, the great and good Beverly Jenkins, who is just such an unstoppable <laughs> badass that, like, Jeez. I don't even know how to talk about it. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. But um, part of, I mean, we would love for all of you to watch this. It's, it's, it's about an hour and 15 minutes, but you can certainly, it's almost like a podcast. <laughs> if you listen mm-hmm. to podcasts, which we know you do because you're listening to this one, <laughs> you can listen to it while you're doing something else if you want. But it's also... Super engaging. These are four incredibly smart, gifted, funny, talented women talking about what they do. And it's it's incredibly engaging. So we'll certainly link to it, but we also wanted to just talk about it in case I don't know. I partly I want to talk about it in case people don't listen to it. Partly it just made me think about a lot of different things. So Mm -hmm. I sent Jess a note. I was like, maybe we could talk about this because I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) So I don't know. I'm sure you had a lot of thoughts too, Jess. I will start by saying one of the thoughts that I had, and one of the things that this made me think about was, you know, the publishing paid me hashtag, which we talked about on our last episode, which highlighted the differences between the kinds of advances that white authors get, and specifically black authors do not get, but also just authors of color generally. Um mm-hmm. it, it meant it, it came up a number of times in this panel. And it came up, so many times and in so many ways that it made me think more about how silent so many white romance authors had been during that conversation, mm-hmm. because it was clearly a conversation that really meant something, at least to some of the women on this panel, and represented something really important to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so then when I started to think about, actually, it was specifically Alyssa Cole started talking about how... She said, you know, I get burnt out. I got burnt out last year, I see. And she's much more eloquent than I am, so look up the quote. But she essentially said, you know, I've seen photos of my romance writing colleagues in the hospital. Because when you're trying to write three or four books in a year, you just get burnt out and you get exhausted. And mm-hmm. then if you are a author who's who only has to write one book a year, like you're still struggling to write that book. But you're not struggling to write four of them. And it comes down to that thing where... Just for the sake of people's mental health it there's there's a huge disparity there, and like I said, it made me start to think a little bit about some of the authors that you know we know of who write one book a year, and you know we're tweeting all the while about all of these really important racial equity issues, but are tweeting multiple times a day and just completely ignored that hashtag and that conversation and mm-hmm. i I mean I went on our contributor Slack and said, like, who knows somebody who actually talked about it? Because the three authors that I just looked up completely bypassed it without a single mention.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there were some. And I did notice when I was watching that hashtag like a hawk, unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) I I couldn't look away that most of the white romance authors who were commenting are more mid-list people. Mm-hmm. You know, there were a couple who had, who mentioned that they got five digit advances, and, et cetera. But the big names, like you said, very, very quiet.
0: Yeah. And like only quiet about that, like texting yeah. about, or tweeting about like five other things that day. But that, so that's my, like, you know, because I get it. I'm not on Twitter very often. So, like, I also, hey, no one has ever paid me a book advance for anything because I have. Also, I've never tried to write, you know, write a book, whatever. But (laughs) so I'm not saying I ignored the publishing paid me hashtag publishing has not paid me, nor should they have. I have offered them nothing. But it was just it was a good reminder that those kinds of conversations actually really mean something to people. And for me, it was a good reminder that advocacy, I mean, it's got to start where you work and live. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, that was a major, a major takeaway for me. There was also some really interesting conversation about like how and where books get shelved. I don't know if that resonated with you at all. I mean, working in a library, I I don't know if you kind of like connected with that in any way. I, as a person who shops for books, certainly did.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I think Rebecca's or either Rebecca or Farrah's story about being younger and looking really resonated with me because I I like brought up an image as I'm listening to them talk of going into a books a million and knowing exactly where the African American section is. And it is 300 feet away from the romance section. And me not even thinking about going there for romance by black people, because that's where I went to get stuff for school. Like, it must have been Farah who was who was talking about that. Or, no, it was Rebecca. Oh, see,
0: ah, I think they all told like different pieces of the same story, which is also really telling,
1: right? Yeah, and you know, also going into Borders and not seeing a single thing in the romance section, even as an adult later, before Borders sadly closed. And you know, in the library, they all do it the same. I think in DC, from what I recall. As a younger reader, it was a lot harder to find things if you didn't know that there was a section that was sort of for us. <laughs> but um, then, you know, they changed a lot of things. And even here in, in Tucson, I know someone advocated for having an urban fiction section because there were people looking for it. Like Miss Bev was talking about that first person yeah. in in Borders who got tired of taking kids by the hand to show them where to where to look so like i know that our main library has a section that is all street lit which but not all black literature right so it's it's so hard to like really figure out what is best for the reader and what is best for the author because discoverability is great finding what you're looking for is also great so it's like and then like who is going to think I'll go to the African American section because I want to read a romance by a black person? Only someone who knows that's where they're shelved. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that was an interesting conversation to hear because I think I've I've heard people talk about it before, but like those four people talking about it, and then Alyssa who lives in a francophone country oh my <laughs> talking. Gosh. Like, and that whole conversation about what gets translated that that led into was just, it's so interesting. And what languages? Like, I would think that lots of things get translated into Spanish because my library at least buys like everything that's translated into Spanish because I live in Arizona. But that Miss Bev's books have been translated into Italian and French. And
0: Mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. No, and it's, I mean, it's such an important point, right? Because she has characters that were based in Cuba. Like she, like mm-hmm. the, it's, and it was, I think it was Alyssa Cole made the point that this is just stupid. Like this is just yeah. publishers leaving money on the table. I think was the, uh, the stupid part is my quote. The leaving money on the table part is hers. Um, mm-hmm. give credit for in a not so shocking turn of events, Alyssa Cole being more articulate than I am, but it, I mean, it's such a good point that it cannot cost. An astonishing amount of money to translate these books, given what you could be making
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you start thinking about, especially, I would say, of of these group of authors, particularly Beverly Jenkins and Alyssa Cole, they set their books in all kinds of different places, mm-hmm. you would think. And not all of those countries are fictional, you know, right. like some of them are real. Uh, and that's <laughs> and Alyssa Cole mentioned in particular. And it just, it's such a, and, and then when they're talking to us about how when they do get translated, they put white people on the cover. <laughs> I was like, like, what? Come on. I, I just, oh, it was, yeah, that was, and I, I mean, that was, I think, a point that in the larger conversation I saw, I'm sure many, many people made it, but I saw Courtney Milan make that, that like, that's a thing that if you're not deep in publishing, you don't mm-hmm. know is a thing that costs people money. Like, it's Mm -hmm. a thing that costs authors legitimately money. I would actually be really interested to see that hashtag of, like, publishing translated me, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because in so many ways, it would make so much more sense for Beverly Jenkins or Alyssa Cole, in particular, again, because their books are based in so many different places to be translated. But I would be super interested to see which, you know, top selling white romance authors are getting translated across All kinds of different countries.
1: Yeah. I think like that's at the top of Nora Roberts's website, right? It's like published this many books, translated into this many languages, sold Mm -hmm. this million, this many million copies. I haven't been on her website in a while, but I feel like I remember that being very like centered somewhere.
0: Yeah. I would guess that that is true. Yeah. And I'll say too, you know, one of the other points that really resonated with me and stuck with me, which, you know, again, Being sitting in the place that I sit both as a non-author and as having a a significant amount of privilege, Alyssa Cole talking a little bit about how hard it can be to know what you're dealing with and be trying to navigate all of this like garbage and also then trying to write happy stories, right, or stories Mm -hmm. that at least end happily can be a really – difficult challenge. And it's something that we don't necessarily ask of authors in other genres. But romance authors, we explicitly tell them your stories have to have a happy ever after. Mm -hmm. And that must be really hard to do when you're facing down all of this garbage that is super racist and awful. And that you there's not a lot you can do about.
1: Yeah. Oh, gosh, there's, there's so much. And so like, so just like, Everything that any author has to deal with, especially in romance, to get that leg up is so much harder mm-hmm. for Black authors, no matter their gender. Yeah. And it's it's important to figure out all of that. And to, I think they all said that it was really important to have a support structure mm-hmm. of like people you can trust to help you through it, even if it's just like, you got this, go for it, finish that book.
0: Yeah. And I think you hit the nail right on the head that we talk so much about, and we as, you know, generally the greater Romance Landia community gets, we all get very outraged regularly on how, you know, romance does not get taken as seriously as it should, and that the storytellers and authors are not given the kudos that they generally deserve, or at least many of them deserve. And then we kind of stop, right? We don't always talk as much about, we don't talk as much as we really need to. About the fact mm-hmm. that if you are also a Black author, you're dealing with a whole other level of that, right? Because you're not being taken seriously as a romance author. But then you mm-hmm. are also dealing with the same experience that Black authors have across all genres, which is not being taken as seriously as a white author.
1: Oh, and if if you're reading this and you haven't checked out an article that was in Vox this week, it, it was a really good read. We'll make sure that it's linked in the show notes because I don't remember what the title of it was, but it talks a lot about that that topic, being a Black author, dealing with not just past RWA, but also the greater experience of being a romance author. So I will make sure that Trisha has that link so that it will be in the show notes.
0: You already made sure that I have that link. It is called Bad Romance and it is open on my computer right now, but I will certainly link to it too. Huzzah. Yeah. (laughs) And in case we want to end this conversation with a little bit of good news, first of all, definitely listen to this panel. Like I said, it's engaging. It's fun. These women are smart and funny and wonderful. And Mm -hmm. also, you should know that Rebecca Weatherspoon is currently writing a duology and the first book Uh features a witch with sex powers
1: and the second one i think is the one with the demon who falls in love with the neighbor I'm just yeah the of... demon who's like coming to torture someone with sex i think
0: which sounds think like so. a little questionable but i trust rebecca weatherspoon so like fair and then yeah falls in love with the neighbor so yeah. that's what's coming soon listen to oh here's the other reason lo- i have never read one of beverly jenkins blessing series books But hearing her talk about them on this, like, I was downloading the first book in that series, like, paid my $4 or whatever as she was talking about it. I'm not even going to explain it to all of you because I really want you to listen to this panel.
1: Mm -hmm. But just
0: know that sometime in the near future, I will probably be talking about the contemporary fiction series from Beverly Jenkins. Even if it's not a romance, I don't care because it's Beverly Jenkins and she just has an all-access pass to win in romance.
1: (laughs) So true. So true.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's do another ad spot and then we'll talk a little bit about some books. Sounds good. This episode is brought to you once again by Book Riot Insiders, the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. You can enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to insiders short story, novel, and the Epic level. And you can try any level out for free for two weeks. The highlight is our new group read, which is hosted online and available to all Epic members. Each quarter we'll read a book voted on by Epic subscribers, and it will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge. We'll cap off our read along with a live chat. But wait, there's more. And you can find out what that more is by getting the full details on this and all the other perks. You can sign up and learn more at insiders.bookriot.com. That's insiders.bookriot.com. All right, Jess. So it's June. It's Pride Month. It is. And we talked about that a little bit on our last episode. But, you know, there's like a lot of things happening in the world. (laughs) As much as we're like both super excited about it and wanted to get into it more, we... There's just a lot of things to cover.
1: There are, there are indeed so many things. I mean, God,
0: all of the things. But anyway, uh, maybe someday the news will slow down. But in the meantime, we uh, we did want to take a few minutes and talk a little bit. And this was a thing that I kind of posited. I I will I will take probably more blame than credit. But you know, we <laughs> we see a lot of um, conversations about different recommendations that people are looking for on book riot contributor slack, or, you know, we'll see something on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And it does seem like there are a lot of romance readers. And I will full on before we even start this conversation, confess that for a while, I was one who don't read LGBTQ romance, because they don't think it's for them. I didn't think it was for me because I don't identify as queer. And so it is not a thing that is impressive about me. And I wish I had realized sooner all of the benefits mm-hmm. to reading stories in every way. You know, we talk constantly about how you should be reading stories about yourself and you should be reading stories about other people and you should be reading stories about how other kinds of people live and find happiness and struggle and are challenged. And it took me a while to, to realize that that was important in romance too. And so I think, I don't know, I I, I part of me kind of just wants to Make that statement, right? Of mm-hmm. romance, just because you don't see yourself reflected in a specific couple, I also have no magical powers. And yet, I really enjoy the uh, Ilona Andrews books, right? Like yeah. You don't have to necessarily see yourself in any part of a book, let alone every part of a book. So, I don't know. It just kind of seems like it can be a hard barrier for a lot of people for some reason.
1: Yeah, and, you know, there are people who might think that they don't know anybody on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Statistically, that is highly unlikely. But if you think that you don't know anyone on the LGBTQ plus spectrum, um, a great way to make friends is to read about them. And what better way than to watch queer people fall in love and get their happy ending, right? And you know, I I don't know how how long I have actually like been out <laughs> as a queer woman, <laughs> but I remember the first time I read a book featuring queer characters. Spoiler alert: it was Rebecca Weatherspoon's Treasure, and oh yeah, um, well that was specifically queer Black women. Mm-hmm. I had probably picked up other things beforehand, things that were like free on Kindle and that kind of thing. Um, Also books about like polyamorous people and that kind of thing. But it resonated so much with me that I was much more interested in what was happening in my own brain. So maybe there are people who do not yet think they are queer who this might help them with as well. But that is a much smaller group than people who actually do not fall into the LGBT family, but should probably... Not should, this isn't broccoli, this is chocolate. <laughs> Enjoy <Yes>. um, <laughs> these stories about people who aren't like them. Um, so I'm just throwing that out there because I think, Trisha, you, your your stance is much stronger than mine.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's a. it may be a smaller group, but it's also a really important group. And also, man, this is the point that we are always, I feel like, trying to make and you don't get it until you get it. You're not reading these books to, like, be a better human or contribute to society. (laughs) You're reading them because they're really lovely, wonderful stories that you're missing out on, right? Whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, as we've talked about before, reading authors of color or reading, you know, these stories that we're about to talk about by queer authors or about queer characters and queer love stories. They're also just really good. Like, that's the Mm -hmm. thing that's – like, we're not going to – no matter – No matter what, Jess and I are not going to recommend a book to you that is awful. Like, we won't do that. I hope that anyone who has listened to more than one episode of the show knows that. We're genuinely recommending books to you because we think they're great and we think that you might enjoy them. But there's just so many really great, wonderful books out there that I do think that sometimes some of us need to be pushed a little bit or nudged a little bit towards, you know, a different kind of dessert. Right? Like maybe mm-hmm. you do not, I don't know, not the only dessert I can think of is creme brulee, which is a thing I don't really like. So I can't make this metaphor <laughs> work anymore, Jess. I've failed it. But you guys know <laughs> what I'm talking about. There are a lot of, dif- oh my God. Oh no, I have it now. I've got it back. I have it back. Okay. So you know how you go to the cheesecake factory and there's like 50 mm-hmm. different kinds of cheesecake and you might think you only like one kind, but how do yeah. you know until you try <laughs> other kinds of cheesecake? Or if you like creme brulee, do that too. I don't care. Like, live your best <laughs> life. I'm just saying it's not for everyone. And why isn't there any chocolate in it? I don't know. I digress. The point is, uh, <laughs> if you have never, this is a good, like, sometime in the next month, if you have never read a book about a couple that is not a cis male female couple, this is a great time to branch out. Just read one. We're going to give you, like, six or eight, depending how much time we have, uh, over the course of the next whatever number of minutes. We've done it many times in the past. So it's just like, it's a great time to open that door for yourself into a new kind of cheesecake. And if you have been eating all of the kinds of cheesecake, good for you. Here are some more. (laughs) And that oh might be as far as I can take the cheesecake metaphor, Jess. So I'm just going to hand this right back on over to you.
1: Nope, we're going to keep though. No, I'm I'm not going to try because Prisha <laughs> has mastered the cheesecake. I would start going into flavors that I would try to remember, and I haven't been oh. to the Cheesecake Factory in ages. So we're we're not going to go with that.
0: Well, none of us have. We're not allowed to go anywhere. I, no, know. I really miss the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs>
1: You can see if they... No, never mind. Okay. Yeah, Uh, we have romance books instead. It'll be fine. So I'm going to start out with a book that I just finished like an hour and a half ago that is out, will be out by the time that this podcast releases, I believe. Um, I'm sorry if I've lied to you and you have to wait a few more days. And that is Just Like That by Cole McCade. And it's one of the first batch of... Karina adores books, um, so if you're unfamiliar with Karina Adores, it's their new line of shorter novels with sort of lower stakes romance featuring queer characters by queer authors. And I think the first the first round was like five or six books. So this is in that group. And uh, Cole McCade has done a lot of self publishing. Also publishes as Zen, X E N, not to be confused with Zan West, who is a different person. Um, And if you've read Cole McCade before, there are some elements to this book that might be familiar to you, especially an age gap between the male leads. Um, In this book, one is 25, one is some ambiguous number around 40. They don't actually say if he is. Almost 40 or over 40 or (laughs) 47, I don't know. But also a few elements of playing with authority and that kind of thing. And this one takes place in a school, but it is not a student teacher relationship, don't worry. Good distinction. It is a teacher and a almost teacher relationship. He's coming in as a TA, but he's more like an adjunct who's helping out with the class so he can take over. For the instructor, after the instructor leaves at the end of the school year. So he's learning sort of how it all works. So that's where the playing with authority comes from because it is kind of a supervisor, supervisee relationship. But Cole McCade knows how to play with those, with that kind of relationship in interesting ways and who to give power and all of that. So it's an intensely emotional book as his seem to be, but it is a very quick read. So I would definitely recommend picking that one up relatively soon. And it's Just Like That by Cole McCade.
0: Yay! Yay! And we have talked about Cole McCade a couple of times. Uh, another author, well, again, this is a bad transition because she- <laughs> we talked about her like four times in this episode. <laughs> but, so Alyssa Cole is basically my go-to gateway romance author mm-hmm. of all time. And she just... ah she just writes really lovely, wonderful books, which you all know, because we've talked about them forever. But one of hers that I think tends to get a little bit overlooked sometimes is a novella called That Could Be Enough that was initially published um, as a part of the it was the Hamilton's Battalion mm-hmm. set. Is
1: that right, mm-hmm.
0: Jess? So it was a, a novella by her, a novella by Courtney Milan, and a novella by Rose Lerner. And this one is... It's a lovely, lovely story. It's, it's So there's this woman, Mercy, who is working as uh, – she's working as a servant. It's 1820, so she is – it's a historical fiction book, but it's she certainly is not enslaved in any way. Mm-hmm. She's serving as a maid to Eliza Hamilton, who is the wife of the late Alexander Hamilton, which is the central theme in these books. They came out around the time that Hamilton the musical was just – blowing everything up and everybody was like super excited about it and it's anyway it's lovely that was about uh, almost exactly oh it was published June 26th 2018 so almost exactly two years ago it's kind of charming anyway so Mercy is working for Eliza Hamilton um she's working for the family and she initially she might seem like she is very cold but as it turns out she is also just really wounded and scarred and also maybe like a little bit cold, but that's fine. Maybe she's a Capricorn. We're fine. We're doing our best. I say that also as a fellow Capricorn. Anyway, so she is trying to help preserve the legacy of Alexander Hamilton. This woman comes to tell a story to Mrs. Hamilton, Eliza Hamilton, who is collecting these stories for a biography of her late husband. Andromeda shows up to tell a story. She is a beautiful, flirtatious, wonderful storyteller. She also happens to be a dressmaker. She's just like completely overwhelming to Mercy in many, many ways, but not necessarily bad ways. (laughs) And she's just like, you can tell that she is the center of attention anywhere she goes, but not in a bad way. (laughs) Just in a like, she just draws people to her. And it's not that she's fearless. She's just courageous enough to go after what she wants all the time and what she sort of decides that she wants is mercy because she can tell that mercy kind of wants her too and it's just this really lovely charming it's it's described in the goodreads uh synopsis as an angsty but fluffy um novella which is i think absolutely true mm-hmm. there's a not even super dark like kind of a little bit dim moment but i always think a novella is a good place to start with like a new author or a new subgenre, and if you haven't read a lot of historical and this subgenre, like, I don't mean that queer fiction in any way is a subgenre, because it certainly isn't. But in this case, if you are looking for like, just a quick afternoon, lovely read, that could be enough by Alyssa Cole is 100% one that you should check out.
1: On the other hand, if you want a slightly lengthy, like, really suck you in kind of Romantic fantasy. (laughs) And who wouldn't? (laughs) That isn't quite as long as some that we've seen, because I'll tell you, there are some doorstoppers out there. Lord of the Last Heartbeat by Mae Peterson is a fascinating fantasy romance um, set in a world that's kind of Venice-like. And the central character Mio is... I want to say intersex, but is male, uses male pronouns, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he actually has like magical powers with his singing. So he can sing and like get into people's minds and like hear, see their innermost secrets and all of that. And his mother uses that to her advantage to take power over people. And he just doesn't want to do it anymore, and ends up on the doorstep of this house that is wildly haunted, um, and ends up falling in love with the owner like you do. Um, so as we've all been, there, we've all been right? there. and and helping him figure out what the heck is going on with the haunting in his house. So there's there's all kinds of layers happening. And it's a really interesting, fantastical universe. And the sequel, The Immortal City is coming out this year. So now's a good time to check it out and move forward with your Mae Peterson experience.
0: Yeah, I will say just that one was like not even a little bit on my radar, which I'm sure is more about me than about the book itself but is do you know is Mae Peterson like new or like how did you even come across it
1: um this was her debut okay and I I have my ear to Karina's door like glued sure. to it so if there's a new Karina Press book out I know about it like while the author Fair. is writing it basically
0: <laughs> I mean listen <laughs> They need people like you to get the good word out there. I'm
1: just like, hi, what's next? So, (laughs) so yeah, I remember like hearing about this and being like, oh my goodness. And then actually being able to sit down to read it and being like, May, I'm, I'm your follower forever. Oh, that's lovely.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I will give you one more. uh, Well, I think I have a couple more, but I will give you another one from (laughs) a less- new author, Uh, Kat Sebastian has written many, many books. We've talked about many of them. Mm -hmm. And if I were going to, ah, this is hard because I really, really, really liked Two Rogues Make a Right. Mm. And so that's the one I'm going to talk about. But it is the third in a series. And as much as you can enjoy it without having read the other books, I think you're going to get more out of yeah. it if you read It Takes Two to Tumble and particularly A Gentleman Never Keeps Score, which are the two books that happened right before Two Rogues Make a Right. But I will talk right now about Two Rogues Make a Right. Because like I said, you can you can enjoy it um, just on its own. And it just, just came out. And it's it's like, it starts with, as sometimes Cat Sebastian books do, this gentleman, Will Sedgwick. Uh, this is a historical, another historical, but this one is British as opposed to American history. And Will Sedgwick is just, like, the loveliest, kindest caretaker, and his oldest friend, (laughs) like, the book opens with Will having sort of kidnapped his oldest friend Martin and taken him to a cottage in the country, and the thing is, like... Martin doesn't know because he's really, really sick. And so Will had to take him. Again, the Goodreads description says that Will kindly kidnaps him and takes him to the countryside. (laughs) Which is correct. That is what he did. It is what Martin needed. But this is like one of those really lovely friends, like longtime friends to lovers romances, where like Martin is prickly. And part of the reason that I was mentioning that you should read the other books in this series is that Martin is a villain in other books in this series. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just something that's really interesting and kind of rich about understanding that multiple different kinds of people deserve happily ever after. Like as Jess has said, if you're not evil, mm-hmm. which Martin is not, he just was not set up for kindness or success, he, he genuinely didn't realize the kind of harm he was doing to other people. And then when he did, he tried to undo it. So I don't know all of that to say, um, and he's sick, he's chronically ill. I also think in addition to being a male male romance, because Will is bisexual, he has been involved with women and men. Martin, I think falls a little bit on the gray sort of spectrum of sexuality. He basically only loves Will And the only person that he's been sexually attracted to is Will. So I will mention that there is Will has some history of addiction um, related to abuse that he has suffered it's off page so it's not graphic in these books but that's worth knowing martin's father sexually abused one of will's brothers which is a story that's more clear in other books Mm -hmm. but it certainly is alluded to in this one so so know that it is heavy but it's also just like a really slow burn like building of a relationship between two people that i you know they just don't know if it's gonna work and then again this is another one where there's not really a dark moment because there's like a little bit of a dim moment and then they realize that they hate it and they start over <laughs> so that's two rogues make a right by kat sebastian if you want to start at the beginning of the series it's it takes two to tumble which we've talked about on the show before also by kat sebastian so we'll link to both in the show notes and then just you know start wherever you're comfortable
1: and i will as i am always must mention that it takes two to tumble is a play off of the sound of music so there's that it's
0: the most delightful. Again, if you're trying to figure out like where to step your foot in to the waters, boy, you could not do much better than Cat Sebastian. Mm-hmm.
1: I will throw out one more as well, and that is The Craft of Love by E. e. Ottoman. It is a New York historical, late Victorian, and it, one of the main characters is kind of an activist like she she goes to meetings of, of women who want to make change so if you're looking for historical books about people who are change makers in their society this is a good one to check out and the both of the main characters are people who have a handcraft <laughs> thus the craft of love which I love
0: um, oh yeah <laughs> Uh, can you like take just like ten seconds and explain what a handcraft is? Because if you don't know, that might sound
1: <laughs> kind of like something that it's not. Kind of kind of off. Um no, it's um so <laughs> as you might know, before the twentieth century, artisan crafts were much more prominent as a skill that people went to people for as opposed to something cool that people bought on Etsy. <laughs> so Benjamin who's the uh, main male character is a silversmith. So he makes tea crafts and jewelry and heavy things that you can sling about and anything that's made with silver. It's a very, very, very tiny blacksmith hammer that you use. All right. Um, And uh, Remembrance is a quilter and embroiderer. So they... They both are very good with their hands. But this is not that kind of story. This is, (laughs) it's, their courtship is delightful. This is very much a courtship novel. And it it has a, you know, slightly cloudy moment, uh, sort of like Trisha mentioned Mm -hmm. for other books. It doesn't quite get too dark, but... It's not its not super brief, it's not 30 pages, but it's novella length, so you could read it very quickly. And um, both the author and one of the main characters are trans, so it's a great way to jump into that part of the spectrum instead of reading a nonfiction book explaining transness to you. So... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that is The Craft of Love by E.E. E. Ottoman, and really anything by E.E. E. Ottoman, because those are good words that come from it.
0: Yeah. I had one by E.E. E. Ottoman on my list, too. And then when you did, I was like, all right, I'll just defer to Jess. <laughs> let her do this one. And the last book that I will mention really quickly, because I am only like 5% of the way through, but I have already highlighted six different passages <laughs> in this book. Which should tell you something, and it will not come as a surprise when I tell you that it is Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbert. And this is, it's a, it's a male-female book, it's a cis-male-female book, but it, Danny Brown is one of the central characters, hence the fact that her name is in the title. <laughs> she is related, as you might expect, to Chloe Brown, who was the one of the main characters of Get a Life Chloe Brown, which we did as a, we did as a book club book, didn't we?
1: I think
0: we we talked about it a lot. If we didn't, we should have. Yeah, we talked about it. I'm pretty sure we did. And if we didn't, we should have. Uh, but no, I think we did. And Danny Brown is bisexual. And I think there is a lot of bisexual erasure that happens. And that's no good. Mm-hmm. So, you know read take a hint danny brown it is Dahlia hibbert is just like so she's just such a lovely delightful writer Mm -hmm. and i've talked about this before when we i think talked about uh chloe brown on a book club episode (laughs) but she just has all of these metaphors that she just puts in her books and this one is just like i said i'm only a few chapters in but the chapter that i just finished before we started recording is about the two of them her her friend zaf is the other main character and they're like friends so this is like a friends to lovers kind of thing and he's listening to a romance audiobook <laughs> and he reaches into his pocket and he accidentally starts it off and they're in the, it's the middle of a sex scene and so danny hears it and she's like are you listening to porn and he's trying to explain that it's not but then she has to go teach a class because she's a phd in something super impressive <laughs> And anyway, so it's (laughs) lovely already. And I'm as soon as we're done doing this, I'm going to get another five or 10% of the way through before I need to go to bed. But I will not read it too quickly because I just love Talia Hibbert's book so much. And I don't know, I don't want to rush it. But anyway, take a hint, Danny Brown, also a a really wonderful, delightful book. And I can say that even though I'm only 5% of the way through because I just trust Talia Hibbert that much.
1: I can confirm that it is a very delightful book, and I am 100% through. So,
0: yay! Take a
1: hit, Danny Brown. Great, great stuff. Part of the yellow book trend, not completely sure about why that's happening right now, but... (laughs) We don't care. It's fine. It's great. And the the cover is adorable, so... Oh, it's so cute. Lovely. Well, since we're throwing out one last title, a book that I am also maybe 12% into is a Fiona Zetti book called every dark desire and if you want to read about vampires in jamaica this is the book for you it is like 12 fire emojis so far and i am not far in Mm -hmm. so just be prepared you're gonna open the book and read sex (laughs) but i mean it's also very emotional so far so every dark desire by fiona zetti if you want some vampires and who
0: doesn't (laughs)
1: well we'll be talking
0: about a different book the
1: next time we convene how jess we will indeed i am super excited for getting schooled by christina c jones which is our next book club book yay yay
0: and we're going to talk about it on our next episode which records on july 9th i'm pretty sure that is correct so please send us your thoughts and questions beforehand. Sometimes we do a few in advance, but this episode got a little busy, so we didn't. Maybe we'll throw a few on Instagram or Twitter. But do let us know what you are thinking about getting schooled. You can reach me on Instagram at Trish Haley Brown. And also Twitter, although Instagram's probably better, but I am trying to be better with Twitter.
1: And conversely, I am on Twitter like 12 times a day and Instagram maybe once. But <laughs> if you hit me up on Instagram, I will do my best to open it. Um, and uh, Instagram for me is Jess underscore is underscore reading and Twitter is just as reading all one word. So uh, reach out, let us know what you've got and uh, we will get back to you. It's a thing. <laughs> it
0: is. And uh, you can always reach both of us too at the when in romance at book, email address to let us know what you are thinking about any of these things. What are your favorite LGBTQ romances? Did you watch the Juneteenth Book Fest and what did you think about it? Because we would love to do some follow up on that. So please let us know. And yeah, what are you thinking about Getting Schooled by Christina C. Jones? We're excited about that too. Please do uh, fill out the survey. Once again, that's bookriot.com slash 2020 survey or the link will be in the show notes. But it will help us make sure that you are getting the information that you need as listeners of this show. Hooray. Hooray. I feel like
1: we packed a lot into this one, Jess. Did we miss anything? I think we got everything we planned to talk about. So go us and go you for making it all the way through this episode. Yes.
0: All of the virtual high fives to all of you. Thank you for hanging with us. We really do love
1: it. And uh, in the meantime, if you're reading, happy reading. Happy reading, everybody. (laughs)